0: you've got your copy of God's Word, if you'll take it and open to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to open us in prayer, and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we continue our series called Christian, Lord, that you would open our eyes to what you've called us to. And Lord, I pray that as we look uh, at the distinctive of love this morning, I pray that you would uh, impress on our heart what you called us to and Lord I pray we would around a biblical and Lord I pray that we would live that out and it's in Christ's name we pray amen And so you go to first uh, Corinthians chapter 13 and uh, while you're turning there uh, I'm just going to remind you that we've been in the middle of a series uh, that we're entitling Christian uh, we've been looking at the word Christian. And what it means and what we've come up with is that the Bible doesn't tell us what it means to be a Christian. Uh, the word Christian and any derivative of it only shows up three times in the New Testament. And two out of those three times, it's used in a negative sense that it's never a word that Jesus called you to. And it's never a word that the followers of Christ called themselves. The word Christian was always a, u- a word used by outsiders to describe a group of Christ followers until it was more of, Hey, we're all, it was never, Hey, we're all Christians. It was, Oh, Christians. That's the way that it was used. And so there is a word though, that we've been talking about that describes exactly what Jesus has called us to. And this word is all over the new Testament. And we said that it's a tough word because once you lock into this word, you can't get away from it because it is so clearly defined. And that word is disciple. Jesus has called all of his followers to be disciples And that's you and I and so if you were over in the book of john Which I don't want you to turn to now Uh, you would see that at the end of jesus's life He called his guys together for one last huddle and he says listen gang I'm going to give you a new commandment I know you've got 600 and some odd other commandments, but this is a new one And if you forget everything else I told you remember this Love one another the way that I have loved you I know you've got all these other things on your mind, but the thing I want you to focus on most is I want you as my disciples to love each other the way that I loved you. And when you do that, the world will know that you're my disciples. And so for hundreds of years, the world was turned upside down because Jesus's followers loved each other the way that Jesus loved them. And so the last five or so weeks, we've been talking about love one another, love one another, love one another, but I haven't give you a description of what love is. And there's a great description that comes up in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm going to jump right into it. But I want you to think a little bit about, before we dive into it, some of the ways that we use the word love. Uh, I didn't realize that some of our Sunday school lessons were going to be on this similar thing uh, when I was preaching this, so there's going to be a little overlap for some of you. But we use the word love in all sorts of different ways. I love my kids, and I love hot dogs, and I love my wife. Those are three groups of things that I feel completely different about, but you all know what I mean when I say those things, right? I don't love the food in the same caliber that I love my wife. Well, Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, gives us a great definition of what love actually is. If you were to interview uh, all newlywed couples, and you were to, to pull them aside, and you were to ask them this question, why do you guys want to get married? Generally speaking, the first thing out of any newlywed couple's mouth is we want to get married because we love each other, right? Right? But then if you were to say, what does that mean? Define, what do you mean when you say you love each other? If you were to ask a newlywed couple what their definition of love is, and you were to ask one of our older couples, who's maybe been married upwards of 60 years, what love means, you would get two completely different views of what love is, right? Right. Love, 60 years in, is totally different than what love a couple months in is. You with me? All right. But love is the same thing. It just so happens to be something that you can grow in. And so Paul gives us a great definition of love. And the first three verses, they start out showing you the necessity for love. And so, just by way of review, if you're going through the book of Corinthians, the Corinthian church is riddled with problems. They're a very competitive bunch. Uh, they're They're a group of people who have a lot going on wrong. No offense if you have friends that go to a Corinth Baptist church, but I've never understood why anybody would name a church Corinth Baptist church if you've ever read 1 Corinthians. Uh, It doesn't seem like a group of people that sell themselves very well. Anyways, they're talking about spiritual gifts. And the Corinthian church is is wondering what to do with all these spiritual gifts. And they're wondering whose gifts are the best. Because if, if you can preach well, I want to be able to preach better. If you can speak in tongues, I want to be able to speak in tongues better. If you can prophesy, I want my gift of prophecy to be better than yours, but I only have the gift of prophecy and I can't speak in tongues. So which one's better, Paul? Which, which one, who do we give more importance to? Those are kind of the questions that are on the table. And so Paul talks to them and says, listen, gang, love is better than all of the spiritual gifts." You need to desire love for one another ahead of competing with spiritual gifts. Hopefully you'll, you'll catch up. The book of 1 Corinthians is a great read. It's rather comical at times, uh, and it's very edifying. But Paul jumps in, in chapter 13, and he says this. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so when somebody comes to Paul and they say, hey, what do I do with this spiritual gift? And this is not a a sermon on speaking in tongues or spiritual gifts. Uh, we'll cover that later. But somebody comes to Paul and says, hey, Paul, uh, I can speak in tongues. What do I do here? He says, well, whatever you do, do it with love. He says, it doesn't matter how you speak. If you speak with the tongues of men or if you speak with the tongues of angels, if you're not doing it out of spirit of love, it's nothing. You ever heard somebody say something, and they said it really well, but you knew that person, and you knew that person's character, and you knew they weren't somebody who loved you or cared about you, and they didn't love or care about the organization they were talking to. They were just merely saying facts, and they were exactly right, but there was zero love involved, and you discounted everything that they said. You ever, you ever give me a head nod? And if it was me the last few weeks, don't don't acknowledge it at all. What I'm going with here is that we all know, and Paul says, listen, you're nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal whenever you open your mouth without love. I'll give you an example. This is, this is not meant to be a, a, a super uh, convicting example, but I get to do a lot of things uh, in the community. And I get a lot of advice, sometimes unsolicited advice, from people in the community, the people that are helping me do these things in the community, man, when they say something or they give advice, it's like what they're saying is seasoned with love. If it's somebody who's not helping at all, not helping carry the load that I'm trying to carry, when they come in and say something critical, like a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal, okay? When you love someone, you're you're right there with them. Love never... Love never takes the, uh, a high seat and looks down and, and makes critical remarks. Love is coming from people who are in the trenches with you. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy always made a comment. Did you ever think you'd hear a Jeff Foxworthy illustration from the pulpit? But he did, he, in the midst of the things he said, he, he did say some things that were very right. He said that a good redneck friend would never bail you out of jail. But a good redneck friend was in jail right beside you. Same thing. When people say things, when they're right there in the trenches with you, they love you. When they're just on looking and not helping, their sound is a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so he says, anytime you speak, it has to be from love. Because it doesn't matter what you say. If people don't know that you love them, it's just going to be annoying. Then in verse 2. Then he says, if I have the gift of prophecy... If I, and I know all mysteries and have all knowledge. And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And so if you have the gift of prophecy, uh, just so that you were on the same sheet of music here with spiritual gifts, prophecy, 99% of the time in the Bible, is not foretelling of the future. Many people think that when someone prophesies, they're saying something that's a future event that's going to take place. of the time, that is not the case. Most of the time, when I'm preaching to you, that's in a spirit of prophecy. Now, it's not all like, ooh, look what's going on. But prophecy, most of the time, is a proclaiming of what the Lord has already said. You with me? Okay. We'll, We'll talk about that more on Wednesday night if you're interested, too. And so, again, you may have a gift, and you may be the smartest person in the room. You know those people? You know the people who walk into the room and they're automatically the smartest people in the room if you're that person and you don't have love he says you're nothing. And so it's possible to have all of the answers, to be able to say all of the right things, to be able to under to be able to understand and comprehend profound things of God and not have love and you have nothing, Paul says. And then he goes on even more. And he says in verse 3, he says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And so he says it's possible to say all of the right things, to know all of the right things, and to do all of the right things, and not do it in love. And when you don't do those things in love, it profits you nothing. Giving everything you have to the poor, that's a big deal. Surrendering your body to be burned. Those are two things that I have never done. But if you don't have love, it profits you nothing. And so what he's saying is that it is possible to be absolutely showy and it profit you none and then he's going to go on and he's going to tell you what love actually is and he says this in verse four and this these next three verses uh, we're probably going to be short today but i want you to stew on these four verses throughout the week and i want you to think about your closest relationships and so most of you here are probably closest to your spouse if you don't have a spouse, you may be closest to some of your children. You may have a close friend that you treasure in life. So when we're going through these, I want you to think about your absolute closest relationship and how it measures up to what God's definition of love is. And I'm going to tell you, just to, to throw this out there, this was terribly convicting for me. Terribly. Listen to this. This is where it starts, and this is where it gets difficult. Chapter 13, verse 4 says this, love, love is patient. So you think about that individual that you care about more than anything on the earth. And you think about this, love is patient. How patient are you with the people that you love most in life? You have a short fuse with the people you love most in life? Or are you pretty patient and long-suffering? You think of the most patient people you know in life. Is that the way you act towards the people you love the most? Listen to this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Are you kind to those people that you love the most? Are you kind to those people you love the most at the end of your being patient? And so when you get to the end of your patience, are you kind to those people Maybe, maybe not. Let me just give you an example. And, uh, some of these you may think come from my family, but they don't. They apply to all of your families. Do any of your kids, and this is, this is through years of counseling, just things that I've heard. Do any of your kids never find their shoes on the way out the door? Like, you wore two shoes home from school, and now it's time for you to wear two shoes back to school, and you can't find any shoes. If I'm going to tell that child I love them, and I'm going to love them in a biblical fashion, I have to be patient with them. Because love is patient, and love is kind. And if I'm going to show my children, or if you're going to show your children, biblical love, it means that you can't throw their shoes at them when you do find them. Or on their way to the car, you can't hail Mary their shoes to them. Just for the record, I sent one of my kids to school this year with no shoes. Just so you know, it was an accident, but it really happened. Uh, true story. You can ask my wife afterwards. Um, I'm not saying that's a good thing. Uh, but the question you should ask is, was my wife patient and kind with me when she found out that I did it? That's the better question. Love is patient. Love is kind. So it means that love Is Another word for patient, some of your Bibles may say long-suffering. Love is patient, it's long-suffering, it's kind. Another word for kind is nice. Love is nice. It's not jealous. So think about the people that you love the most, and think about if you're patient with them, if you're kind with them, and then think about if you're not jealous for them or with them. Very good things to think about. Listen to this next one. Love does not brag. Love doesn't brag. Love doesn't boast. Some of you, if you have an NIV version, your Bible says boast. And then it says that love is not arrogant. And so love isn't proud. And so love doesn't do this. When someone does something wrong, if you love someone, you're not arrogant or proud that they did something wrong. But rather you're patient and kind, not jealous, not boastful, not arrogant, not proud. All of these are characteristics of what love is. And just for the record, God, at the end of this, you're going to see God is love. And these are all of the things that he is towards you. He's patient. He's kind He doesn't brag. He's not arrogant. Then you get down to verse 5 and you have more things about love. As if that sentence wasn't convicting enough about what love is. And so how many of those newlywed couples that you think that say, we want to get married because we love each other. How many of them have patience and kindness and all of these things in mind do you think? How many of you when you got married all of these things in mind? I've watched some of you endure things that if if newlywed couples knew that's what it was going to be, they might think about it a little longer. The the reason that so many of us jump headlong into marriage is because we have a lust mixed in with what we think is love, and that helps get us in, but you know that love over time grows and gets seasoned and turns into something magnificent, because I know from, I'm only about 12 years into marriage, and the love I have for my spouse now is way different and way better than what it was when we first started on this adventure. Love, verse 5, love does not act unbecomingly. Some of your versions, if you have the NIV, says this, love does not dishonor others. And so if you truly love someone, you act becomingly towards them. You act with them in a way that doesn't dishonor them. And so you act towards them in a way that honors that individual. Love does not seek its own. It's not easily angered or provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Some of your versions, if you have the NIV, says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, let me ask you this. The last argument that you got into with the person that you love the most in this world. Did any of these things come up? Did you not dishonor them? Did you not act unbecoming of them? Were you seeking your own? Were you easily provoked? Did you keep a record of wrongs? What do you think now? How are we measure up to those people that we love the most? Hmm. Not as good as we thought Boy, I thought I loved my wife a lot going into study in first corinthians 13 You probably thought you loved your wife a lot too, but when we are not patient When we don't get our way That's love doesn't seek its own when we're provoked Isn't the first thing that we do? Pull out the list of wrongs that we've had done against us why is it so easy for us to remember all of the wrongs that have been done against us and then so quickly throw all of those things that have been done against us out there for the other person to deal with? Ever been there? Like like what I'm describing is a normal fight, okay? Like if you if you think you're here and you're married and you've never been into an argument, you're probably not married. <laughs> you have something else going on. Everybody this is this is normal, right? The stuff that you see on TV abnormal. Listen to this. But this is what love is. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Love doesn't seek its own. It's not easily angered. It's not easily provoked. And so when you are loving someone else, your love towards them, listen to this, has nothing to do with you and has everything to do with how you treat that person. It has nothing to do with the way that they act back towards you. Read it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So all of those things describe how your love should be. And I want you to see that love is not a reaction. Love is something that you set out to do, and you don't do it, listen to this, you don't do it because the other person deserves it, you do it because of the love that God has for you. And so when my wife loves me and I love my wife, it's not because either one of us deserves that love. It's because God loved us so much. He sent his son to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And he rose from the dead. And it's out of the love that we have for him, that we love each other and that we love our spouses. And then when we love our spouses that way, and this is not just about love within a marriage. This is how each of us should be loving each other. And so when we love each other in this fashion, then the world sees that we're His disciples because of the way we love. You with me? And none of this has to do with how people treat us. And so when we say things like, people don't deserve something, that person doesn't deserve this, this person doesn't deserve that, your pastor doesn't deserve any of the love that God has for him. Paul even says, listen, gang, I'm the most wretched sinner I know. And this is the way that God loves us. And this is the way that we're supposed to love others. And so then he goes on as if this wasn't difficult enough, as if one verse wasn't enough, he gives us another. And then if two verses weren't enough, he gives us another. Some people will say things like, don't you wish God left us more in the Bible? To which I say, no, I'm struggling enough with what he's left us. I have zero desire for him to leave us anything else. Then he says in verse six, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. So love doesn't resort. Doesn't rejoice in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And so, if you say that you love someone, and then something evil happens, you don't get to be excited about that. So, if that person has gotten to the end of your patience, and you don't want to be kind, and all of these other things, when they get what they deserve, that's not love if you're rejoicing in evil but love rejoices with the truth. Now listen to this, verse 7. Love bears all things. Some of you if you have the NIV it says protects all things. Love believes all things. If you have the NIV it says trust all things. It hopes all things and endures or perseveres in all things. And so love protects, love trusts, love hopes and love perseveres and these are all qualities that you want from your spouse and these are all qualities that you get from god aren't you glad if you truly love that individual that you love the most you will bear all things for them you will believe all things for them you will hope all things for them and you will persevere all things for them brothers and sisters love is not easy a lot of times we talk about love like oh it's this ushy gushy stuff and and your wife wants you to watch a nicholas sparks movie and all this other garbage that the world has pushed as love i did say nicholas sparks and garbage in the same sentence just for the record love is not for the light-hearted Love is not something that is all mushy and girly and all this stuff. And so when Jesus gets his guys together and he says, Listen, gang, I want you to love each other the way that I loved you. He wasn't making sissies out of them and he wasn't lowering the bar, but he was putting the bar so much higher because this definition of love that I've just given you makes me wonder if I've ever loved anybody the way that Christ loves me. And it should make you wonder if you've ever loved anybody the way that Christ loves you. Then it says this. This is why you do all of these things. The reason that you go through all of this difficulty to love is verse 8. It's because love never fails. It's because you'll never love someone and it fail. Why? I've told you that God is love you with me that's what the scriptures say god is love and so you could you could interchange at times the word god and love and so when you come up with any situation in your life let's say you have a marriage difficulty let's say you have a difficulty with a child let's say you have a difficulty with an uh elderly parent and you say what should i do as a believer in any given situation here's the answer love you go well preacher you have no idea the facts around the story that i'm going to tell you and i'm going to tell you that you have no idea how much of a difference that love can make in any given situation because the scripture says here love never fails and if god is love this means that god never fails listen gang love fixes everything everything it doesn't mean that the outcome is going to be great it may mean that you love someone and and you never see any turn or change but what you've been called to do your greatest hope in any given situation is to bring the same love that Christ had for you and for me into the situation and love people you with me and what I've just told you is ridiculously difficult to do And I feel like I fail at it every day. But I feel like when I'm trying as hard as I can to love people the way that Christ would love them, I feel like I'm making the most headway. And then I'm doing the most of what God has called me to do. And then he says this. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it'll be done away. So he says, everything else that you put your hope in is going to be done away. You, you pick and choose your poison, where you're going to put your hope. All of it's going to go away. He says, verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Then he says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will be known fully, just as I also have been fully known. So he says that all of these things are going to, you're going to know more. Okay. And he says, and these things that we used to put our hope in, they're being done away with. And he says, but these things, verse 13, but now faith, hope, and love abide. So he says, the most important things. Faith, hope, and love. And then he says, but the greatest of these is love. And so, gang, as followers of Christ, the greatest thing that we could do is love people. This is what I wish we could do. This is how I think church could be done best. You cancel all the extracurricular things. All of us rid our schedules of things that make us busy. And we love one another. I don't know about your Sunday school class. My Sunday school class, when we start talking about things like this, the biggest thing that gets in our way is we realize on a daily basis that we are too busy to love one another the way that God has called us to love one another that we all have jobs, that we work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. We all have two, three children that keep us tied up at the ballpark and they take us all over the place. We all like to hunt and we all like to fish. And what that does is that does not leave us time for each other. And so I believe that the biggest sin on the table right now is not us loving each other because we come through for each other When the chips are down and when we need each other we're there You take someone gets married someone passes away something big happens a chronic illness happens. I mean we're there in the big things But day to day I feel like most of us are too busy to show this type of love towards people And so brothers and sisters, I want us to love our spouses this way I want us to love our children this way and if I'm just being selfish, if I'm, if I'm just being me, I think that's the end of it. But the reality is, is that Christ at the end of his life, he called us to love each other this way. And so if you're here looking at me, this is how you're supposed to love me. And I'm here and I'm looking at all of you. And this is how I'm supposed to be loving you. And the people that you're sitting with on your pew... You're supposed to be loving them that way also. And this is hard. But brothers and sisters, this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And if we get this wrong, we get something beautiful wrong. And I don't feel like we can afford to mess this up. And so I don't have anything eloquent to say at the end other than I need you to pray for me that I could be the type of man that loves my wife this way, that I could be the type of man who loves his kids this way, and I could be the sort of pastor that loves each of you this way. And I'm going to pray for you, that you would be the sort of believer in Christ that loves everybody in your life this way also. And so this week, I'll be praying for you, and I covet your prayers for me as well. And I pray that we'll each spend some time reading through this, And really looking and sizing up the relationships in which we say we love people. And so I'm going to close this in prayer. And then I pray that during our hymn of invitation that you'll spend some time in thought. You're welcome to come to the altar and pray. Uh, You're welcome to pray where you are. Uh, And if you're here and you've never known this love. And you've never known that God loves you with this sort of love. I would love to share with you more about what Christ did for you. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's no way that you can love people the way that He's telling us to. Because this sort of love can only be a pouring out of what He's poured into us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You for You who loved us so much to send Your Son to die for us. Lord, we pray that as we Go about our lives here on earth. I pray that you would fill us to capacity with love I pray that we would each be overwhelmed as paul says I pray that we would know the depth And the breadth of the love that you have for us And lord, I pray that out of that realization That we would in turn love our spouses and our children and the rest of our family And we would love our brothers and sisters in christ the same way you loved us Lord, I pray that we would be people who are characterized by being patient and kind and long-suffering. I pray that we would be people who love each other and and trust and hope, and we bear all things for one another. And Lord, I pray that when we do that, that the world would see that we're your disciples, and they would long for the relationship we have. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with us for a hymn of invitation. It was a pleasure to see all you this week. always look forward to seeing you guys. And I look forward to uh, the great things that the Lord is doing amongst us. Um, It really seems like uh, the Spirit is alive and working amongst us. And uh, I tell you, I'm really anxious to see where uh, He takes us. And so I just want you guys to know that uh, I love each of you and care about you more than you could ever imagine. And I look forward to more ways in the future that uh, I can do my best to serve you. And so don't forget about the announcements in the bulletin. Uh, There's a big missions event coming up next weekend. There's also uh, the Salty Sweet Bible Study uh, that's going to be Thursday night at my house for the ladies. Uh, I'm going to ask Dr. Tarkington, would you close us in prayer?